Hello to everybody who throws rocks at art. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. Yet another episode where we get to show off the real world, one human being at a time. Thanks to everybody who came and saw me do stand-up in Minneapolis at the Acme Comedy Club. Very cool of you to come out and experience one of the country's great clubs with me. Uh, tickets for all my upcoming tour dates, chrisgeth.com. Up next is uh, Philly, actually, our first live, beautiful, anonymous taping. It's going to be on October 15th. And it's going to be cool. And it's going to be fun. And I cannot wait. Now, this week's episode... I tell you, we record these things and then, you know, very often they sit in a queue, we get organized, we figure out what we're going to put out when. And it's so strange to see how the world works sometimes because, you know, everybody knows sometimes something will happen. It's topical. It's dealing with news of the day. And we kind of say, let's bring that one forward. We're not going to sit on that one for another month. Let's bring it forward. It applies right now. And then sometimes things like today's episode happens. Today's episode is with someone who immigrated to the United States from Italy. And we taped it a while back. And a lot of it's, right? We talk about Italian-Americans. I'm from Jersey, where that's such a big part of our culture. We talk about pizza and food and all these different things. Uh, I do want to point out the way this world works is oftentimes things keep becoming topical again. And the caller, it's eerie that we were planning on putting this one out this week. And then the world is going the way it is. The caller points out, you know, I am talking about the immigrant experience And I'm happy to talk about my experience. And the caller, I think, does something very smart and very empathetic and very wise, which points out I'm Italian. I look a certain way. My experience as an immigrant is very different than other people's. And it fills me with heartbreak to say that we are putting this out at the tail end of a week where we've all seen footage of Border Patrol as people are coming from Haiti to America and crossing the Rio Grande River in Texas, seeing images of Border Patrol agents on horseback with whips rounding up immigrants who don't look like our caller. Now, this is not something that the caller and I were able to talk about. We talked about it months ago, but as we were putting this one out, I go, I remember so well the caller pointing out people have different experiences with this. And man, is it is it eerie that... We were already slated to put this one out a week where that's become such a clear cut thing. Now, I, I, everybody knows my politics on the show. There's people with different politics listening. I think we can all agree that people on horseback with whips, there's no place for that. It's insane. It's not about me. It's about the caller. I got that out there. I think it was a necessary thing to say up top. And I think it's something that if you have humanity in your heart, you'd agree with. And for now, I'm going to talk about not just immigration, but also pizza. And also being a human in this world. And also traveling this globe, seeing sights, living life, meeting people, surviving, and existing. So that's what this show is. Hope you get something out of it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi, Chris. How you doing? How are you? I'm good. I did not think this would happen. 
I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. I'm good too. Feeling good. And I'm happy you're excited. That makes a guy feel good. (laughs) Yeah, I tried so many times. And this morning when I heard the old music, I was like, oh, it's been two hours since he posted on Instagram. I might as well hang up. And then I was just enjoying the music. So I stayed on the line. And here we are. Oh, wow. It's so, because be. <laughs> we did two calls. You said you've just been sitting on the line enjoying the hold list over and over again since the first prompt? Yeah, like for like, I think I called about the time you finished the first call. And so the line oh, was open it. still, right? Nice. I was lucky. Anyway. <laughs> Very nice. Um, I figure it could be fun to talk to you about my experience being um, an Italian living in the U.S. for about five years. Um, I moved right before the last president was elected and have to say it's been an experience to, um, <laughs> to live here as a privileged immigrant. That's what I was telling her. Like I moved with a job. I had a visa. I was able to get my immigration status updated when I was um, uh, already here. And like, you know, I know how difficult it is to come to the U.S. for a lot of people. So I really feel the privilege, but at the same time, it's been also extremely difficult um, to adapt to the culture. And for context, I have lived abroad for almost 13 years. And um, I lived in five different countries before the U.S. So I'm not new to adapting to new culture, but between um, the politics and the, um, you know, the overall and I, I'm, I call it American culture, but in reality, I'm on the West Coast. So I bet it's in different, in different parts of the country. So that's kind of like, you know, I thought it would be fun to talk about that, how I was able to um, somewhat fulfill my American dream in the, in the 2020 era. And it's still alive, you know, the American dream for all of us. Mm-hmm. And some of us mm-hmm. succeed and some of us don't. And I, I feel really lucky that I've been able to, to get to this point. I love it. That's a lot. There's a lot to cover. We should have more than enough to talk about for an hour, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm sure. I like. I don't even know in which direction to go beyond these, you know, because that was kind of like my underlying idea. Well, okay. I've got a bunch of questions. Should, we, should I just <laughs> dive in? Should I just dive in? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Because you, you said something that has always jumped out to me, which is when you said like, you know, I moved to America, well, the West Coast, which is the West Coast. And it's so interesting to me. I have to wonder, coming from, and I'm certain I'm right on this, always correct me if I'm wrong, Italy's part of the European Union. And the European Union is sort of this umbrella that encompasses separate countries. And coming from that world, Mm -hmm. do you... When you see America, is it insane to you that we're one country? I guess is my question. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, I don't think so, because in my head, um, it's just like, you know, it's the same everywhere in the U.S. I haven't seen enough of the U.S. So mm-hmm. my, my boyfriend is American, and I keep telling him, you need to bring me to the real America, because... We are in, not just on the West Coast, we are in California. So I know that here things might be very different from the Midwest or the South or some area. And, and it's been only in the last year, you know, in the last year or two that I really understood how different it could be to live in Texas or 
um, in Montana, you know, compared to living in California. Um, so I think for me, it's like, in a way, it's not very really insane for you that uh, all the different states are one country, because I don't think I even appreciate um, how different it could be. Uh, right. I have a, a little bit of a feeling. Um, what's what is it's like the same, like a lot of things in the culture are the same, though, like it's the same language, even though, you know, I know that it's like regional accents and uh, people watch the same TV. And I think like the media in particular is something that makes um, uh, the narrative of the country a lot. Even myself as a European, uh, we watch a lot of American TV. It's dubbed, uh, it's not in English, but uh, there is things that are familiar to me because I still am in the movies, right? And, um, mm-hmm. and so I think like the media plays a big role while the European Union between the language barrier, uh, it's more the language barrier, I think, that makes, it would make it harder to have something similar, uh, like uh, having like a TV network that is um, common to the entire European Union. And the history, like the European Union began as a, like it was related to trade. It was like for for the economy. And then it it turned into something more um, and different alliances. But at the beginning, it was simply like a trade agreement so that uh, there weren't so many custom taxes and tariffs or whatever they're called. Um, So I think the history is different. There is a very deep-rooted history in some of the countries. And Italy, something people don't know about Italy, Italy has been a country only for 160 years. Um, before, it was just a tiny lot of different countries, all kind of like a, a patchwork of countries on the peninsula. Uh, that is like the, well, people imagine Italy is like the peninsula, the, the boots. And um, there is so much division in Italy as well, in particular between the north and the south. There is bias, there is a stereotypes of how people in the South are lazy and other people in the North work and like they're productive and they make the money for the economy and the country. And like the reality is like the North has more resources than the South. And so historically has been richer, but that doesn't mean that uh, people in the South are lazy. And like there is this division even within a country that is the size of California. And so, yeah, maybe in a way, it's just insane that uh, the United States are one country because it's so big geographically as well. And so it's hard to see, oh, how can be homogeneous? But there's a lot of things that are common in different states, I believe. And I think a lot of it is driven by the media. As that, I mean, mm-hmm. that's my, this is my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is all I'm asking for. And how long have you, <laughs> you may have mentioned this, how long have you been in California? Um, almost five years. Yeah, five years. And what other countries mm-hmm. have you lived in in your time abroad? So the country I lived in for the longest is Ireland. I lived in Dublin for six years before moving to California. Um, okay. And then, well, Italy, obviously, and a handful of other countries that I think if I mention them, um, all my friends will get annoyed with me. They probably already know anyway. I have a pretty distinct accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and America's been the the hardest to adapt to, you mentioned. Yeah, I think so. I think it was, um, well, I was was going to explain why. I think it's because um, they were all difficult but in different ways. I think the reason why moving here was the most difficult is because I wasn't prepared for the 
what were psychologists call cultural shock. Um, I was moving with the same company I've been working for for six years. I was even in the same department. I was taking, um, instead of, I had a regional role when I was in Dublin, I was taking a global role. And so I thought, you know, with the same people, I thought like from a work perspective, it was going to be easy and, you know, everything else would follow. And instead, I, the communication style is very different from Ireland, even though it's a you know, country where English is their language and uh, a lot of the culture is Anglo-Saxon as well. Um, there's various commonalities with the, with the UK and with the United States. Um, so I think that's why it was the hardest, not because the United States, but because I didn't prepare myself uh, for the culture shock. And, and there were some things that were very different. Like when I lived in Dublin, I would walk to work for like 10 minutes and I was at work, I was in the office. When I moved there, I started commuting. My commute on paper was long, but then in reality with traffic ended up being like one hour and a half each way. And it was absolutely killing me. So a lot of it was related to the lifestyle. Um, and uh, yeah, and the way people interact. When I lived in Ireland, I was living in a very international environment. A lot of people were not Irish that were I was hanging out with because I don't know how much of you know, but the Dublin became a bit of a tech hub in the last 10 years mm -hmm. because Ireland just did all this tax relief for American businesses. And so a lot of American corporations, in particular tech companies, um, decided to put their European headquarters there. Uh, and that meant that attracted a lot of people from all over Europe and not even just Europe. Like some, some of my coworkers were from like the Middle East or Africa or even some from Asia. And so you end up being an environment that is very diverse and everybody's a foreigner in a way. Not everybody, but well, obviously Irish people uh, as well. Um, but like I became friends with people that were from all over the world. And when I moved here, uh, I knew a few people already that some of them were American, some weren't, but it was so much harder to uh, go beyond the pleasantry and the superficial conversation with people. And so I felt it was very hard to make friends as well. Um, and I think that's why it was harder to adapt. But then at the same time, um, I met my boyfriend here shortly after I, I, I got to the US. And, you know, uh, that really helped because is actually from the area, so his family is here, and you know, I, in a way, I feel I have more roots uh, now in this part of the world that I had in Ireland. Like when I was in Dublin, I knew I wouldn't stay. I didn't, besides the job, and like uh, besides the job, nothing was keeping me there. I was about to say friends. The reality is, like in my time in Ireland, um, a bunch of my friends left, <laughs> and you know, it's like it's it's a place that for a lot of people unless you are from Ireland, you don't necessarily want to settle there because, um, well, the weather is not great. I think that's mm -hmm. the main reason. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's a great country, but the weather is like so hard on particular Southern European who grew up having seasons and having sunshine in summer. I would have to imagine that's true, that California is a little bit better for someone from the Mediterranean area than dismal gray Ireland, uh, a country that holds a piece of my heart, but that you're not, you're not wrong about. How do you feel about what we call Italian food in America? 
um, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's funny because I, I, I should have expected this question. Um, it's, uh, it's fine. I, uh, <laughs> I think that, um, some of it is, you know, an interpretation of Italian recipes and that's totally fine. It's what we do with Asian fusion, right? Uh, um, I just draw the line on pineapple on pizza. I just can't stand it. Um, well, most Americans, <laughs> most Americans can't either. Most Americans. No, it's 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 a very common thing for Italian people. Like the pineapple on pizza is something that drives people over Italian people over the edge. <laughs> That's why I mention it. It's kind of like a inside joke in a way. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it's funny because my. Um, my partner's family has uh, Italian roots, and his mom keeps saying that pizza was invented in New York. And so we went down a rabbit hole of Googling one day. Um, and, you know, pizza, like New York style pizza, was invented in New York. But there was so many different countries beyond Italy as well where they have some sort of flat bread with, with toppings. Uh, but, you know, the original pizza was invented in Napoli. And like, I was like, I'm going to stand by my belief on these ones. Well, I mean, no offense to your boyfriend's mother, but to say that pizza was invented in America is uh, completely insane. <laughs> uh, this is a well-known fact that pizza was... Well, you know, It's like saying it's we invented not. pasta. It's, it's, it's preposterous. So you know what? After the Google rabbit hole... What we found out is that New York pizza is what made pizza popular. Like pizza wasn't mm -hmm. popular until, until um, Italian immigrants to New York started making pizza. And that's what made pizza popular like internationally. Again, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I'm sure people might have different opinions, but that's kind of where we landed. It was like, okay, sure. first pizza perhaps was invented in Italy, but then it was New York that made it really popular. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. I get that you also have to defend, um, like your your boyfriend is going to hear this someday, maybe, and he's going to say, "Please don't call my mother insane." And and I want to offer my apologies and also say you've done a good job of being <laughs> diplomatic and making sure uh, everyone knows that you do not agree with that. So well done, well done. But yes, this is this is it's great if we made it popular. I, I, have you spent any time in the Northeast, in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut? I've been to New York a handful of times, and I loved it. But, um, you know, it's like a, a few days at a time. I haven't spent enough time to to really say, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know, um, I would love to move to that area for a while. I think it would be super interesting. But for now, we're staying here. Um uh, there's a lot of advantages of being in California and the other bit I haven't told you about, you know, kind of what I told about my American dream is I went through a gigantic career change this year and um, I think that it wouldn't have been possible if I weren't in the US um, and so that's actually a pretty interesting topic that maybe we want to talk about Yeah, tell me all about it So I've been working as I mentioned in the tech industry uh, for about 11 years, 10 years at this point. And um, about a year ago, right before the pandemic began, um, I was like, oh, you know, I, I used to do um, some coding before uh, I began my career. 
uh, like when I was still in school and I was envisioning to, you know, do that for a living, write code. Then I graduated uh, right before the 2008 crash. Um, and so whatever first job I got, I was super picky. I was like, I, you know, it's like I just need to start working. And I ended up not taking a job that was extremely technical. Um, and so that led me on to like a great career. But in the back of my head, I always wanted to go back into coding. And I couldn't see a way. Like, it was like, I'm like in my late 30s. Like, what am I doing? Uh, it's like, you know, it's like, it's hard to even envision doing a pretty drastic career change um, when you are well-established. And then I'm, I changed company and I met a bunch of female engineers who um, had gone coding bootcamp. And for the first time, I was like, oh, maybe there is a path for me to be able to fulfill this dream that has been in the back of my head for a long time. And so literally a week before California lockdown uh, last year, I gave notice and left my job. Um, so the timing wasn't great. Uh, I was really scared because I, you know, I had like a vision of what was going to happen and nothing ex went exactly as I imagined. But I think that's true for everybody who's lived 2020. Um, and um, yeah, and so I quit my job and started studying. I mean, I studied uh, the latest technology to prepare. Uh, I did an admission exam um, uh, after about four weeks of study. And I passed that one. And um, then I did about another four weeks of uh, like prepping course that it's mandatory to then access this. Uh, immersive coding bootcamp and then uh, I passed that too and then um, I did the three months six days um, per week 12 hours per day uh, coding bootcamp where I basically went from like knowing how to code at 20% to knowing how to code 100% and be ready for a job search um, and I I finished it you know it went really well um, extremely hard on um, my self-esteem in a lot of different times. Um, and then I began job searching um, at the end of September. And um, it was one of the most difficult things I've done in my life um, to do this job search, where all of a sudden, you know, even though I had a lot of industry experience under my belt, I was looking for a software engineer job. And um, between 2020, the political environment, um, the end of the year is not a great time to job search at the end of the year. Um, it was like the first three months, basically nothing happened. I had like three or four interviews total. I was really, really motivated. I was like, maybe this is crazy what I was thinking. Um, then January comes around again, first three weeks, nothing really happened. And then basically the day Biden was inaugurated, all of a sudden job posting started to appear. And my guess is that it was a combination of the company finalized the budget for a year and everybody was waiting to see if it was going to be a civil war. Um, and so as soon as things calmed down from a political standpoint, the jobs start popping up. And so in the space of a week, I was in conversation with 12 different companies. And um, in February, for the entire month of February, I basically had one interview every single day. Um, and finally, it was like, finally, there is some traction, and it was so exhausting. Um, but about two weeks ago, I got a job offer, which I accepted. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, all this doesn't feel crazy anymore. You know, it's just like an incredible journey uh, that hopefully can inspire others 
to um, to take the risk. Let's pause there. I love when people take the risk. I love when people just say, screw it, change things up, go for it. Uh, we'll hear more about how that went. We'll hear more about many other things when we get back. Thank you, advertisers. You're the ones who allow the show to happen and for me to pay my mortgage. Thank you so much. Now let's get back to the phone call. You know, it's just like an incredible journey uh, that hopefully can inspire others to to take the risk. But I was privileged because I had the funds to do it. So, um, again, you know, that's like I'm aware of that. Not everybody can just jump into this blindly as I did. Uh, I mean, I planned for it. I saved it for a while. Um, I did all the budgeting. But at the same time, I also knew I could do it because I... I knew I could pay rent for the entire year, even though I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's really how I feel. That's really the fulfill, the real fulfillment of my American dream. <laughs> that's uh, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, if I had spoken to you four or five weeks ago, I would have had a very different mood. Um, but <laughs> today, today is like all good. And today, I'm going to buy my first car. Um, I mean, I'm going to view one. Uh, I never bought a car in my life. And uh, finally, I decided that after almost five years in California, I need a car. And I feel bad for the planet. But at the same time, it's just so difficult to move around with public transit. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, I feel like a real adult now. <laughs> That's great. Congrats. Now, you refer to this as your American dream, which I really love. And here's a question that I wonder about as someone who grew up in America. What about your experience do you feel like is uniquely a thing you can find in America as opposed to other places you've been? Because I think a lot of us listening, like my reaction is going, oh, in other countries, is that unusual? Is there something about America that opens the door to the experience you just had? Because we might not, I I, I will tell you, I'm surprised to hear that you say that's the American dream. Um, Yeah. Well, I call it my American dream because um, I don't think I would have had the guts to do it if I were in Italy or even in Ireland. Um, let me let me try to explain to you why. Uh, it's a combination of I think people here, and I'm I'm not necessarily talking about the U.S. because I I can't say that's the experience. I know I call it my American dream. I can call it my Californian dream. I think here <laughs> in the place where I, where I am. <laughs> right? Like, I I don't know if it's the same everywhere. Like, I want to be very clear about that. In a place where I am, you know, I, I think you can imagine I'm in Silicon Valley. So um, it's the place where people come up with crazy idea and become billion dollars company, right? So the idea of you deciding to reinvent yourself, uh, even though you are not in any shape and form young. Uh, I mean, I'm still young, but, as you know, from a career perspective, I was a solid 10 years in. It's not seen like, uh, oh, you are completely insane, but it's seen as like, <laughs> wow, you are bold. You're taking a risk because you want to do something you're, you are genuinely passionate about. Um, and it's culturally acceptable. Like I told some of my friends and you know, some of the people in my circle, I didn't even tell everybody. I was super afraid of the judgment. 
Um, I was super afraid of people telling me, are you crazy? Like, you have a stable life, you have a good job, why would you leave it? Um, and so I just didn't, didn't tell a lot of people until things were really emotional, were really happening. But at the same time, I felt supported in my decision by the people are surrounding me here. In reality, I felt supported by the decision. Like, my family was supportive. Um, a lot of my other friends who are international as well are supportive. Uh, but at the same time, I think like it's the less, the, the, the way Americans think career, it's, it's, um, it's not some, like, Italy is more like, oh, I got a good job, I should hold on to it because, you know, everything's too unstable all the time. Like Italy has been in recession since the early 90s. I don't think people realize that. Um, because there was a big government crisis, there was like a scandal, uh, people getting bribed, and like there was a big political crisis in the early 90s that led to a big economic crisis. Um, so when Italy got into the euro, the lira was strong, and that meant that uh, the the cost of living basically doubled overnight, and a lot of people in Italy are against the euro. Now it's been 10 years basically that we have the euro, so you know, uh, the effects of it, uh, the benefits of being in the Eurozone uh, probably um, uh, are greater than the, the disadvantages. But at the same time, between like the early 90s recession, then the 2008 crash, the 2020, obviously like economic crisis, um, Italy is super high unemployment rate. So one of the, I actually never had a job in Italy. My first job after college was already abroad uh, because I wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted. I would go to interviews and for unpaid internships, and I was told, you are too qualified because you already had done two internships during your college time. Or I would go to other places, again, for unpaid work, and they were telling me, oh, you're not qualified enough because you haven't learned that quite And so I felt caught into this, like, place where um i wasn't getting what i what i wanted like i also would have wanted to have a job that would give me some money and also some paid internship and so when i got the opportunity i got a job um in finland actually and uh which is a completely different country from all the others and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go and i never went back but my underlying feeling for how Italians perceive career is that you get a good job and you stay there for the rest of your life. You don't change. And it's not as true for the newer generation, mostly because people don't get permanent jobs. And so for, because of the job market, they kind of have to jump from one place to the other. But that's really true for my parents. And I suppose it's true for like my boyfriend's parents who are the same age as well. Like they had the same job all the entire life. But I feel at least for our generation, because you and I are more or less the same age, so I'm gonna say our generation, um, changing jobs and moving from here to there is kind of acceptable, is normal. And um, in particular in the tech industry, taking big risks and deciding to do something a little. Um, drastic for lack of better wording um like changing career completely like i did it's completely okay and in fact the the person who ended up hiring me um he was like i'm super inspired by your story and you bring uh, a lot of different skills besides your ability to code but it's something that you learned in in the last year um so i think it's uh 
I don't know. I think maybe I would have done it even if I were in Europe, but I have been thinking about it for since 2013. And when I was in Dublin, I didn't feel I had any infrastructure to take that risk. I think that's, that's maybe the, maybe it's just that I was just in a different phase of my life. Um, and I mean, I call it my American dream in the sense that, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that to me, it's really tight to being here in, in this part of the world. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I couldn't have done it elsewhere. I love it. I love that America makes people feel emboldened, makes you feel like you can take a big swing. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, companion question. You've lived mm -hmm. all over. You've lived in half a dozen countries all over the world. Mm -hmm. Now you're in the States and I know, I know you keep giving the caveat of California and I respect that, but in general, whether it's Californians <laughs> or Americans in general, having lived all over the world, are there things about America, Americans that are kind of weird by world standards that we, we don't realize? So the first thing that pops into my mind is how people just casually drive everywhere for miles and miles. Oh, we could go for a weekend over there. It's only 300 miles each way. And I'm like, only 300 miles? How many hours is that in the car? I think that's crazy. And I, I think a lot of people who are from Europe think that's crazy. Because, you know, 300 miles to take a flight. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, or you don't drive in, in one day. Like, it's not even that far, right? But, um, or like driving cross country is like, it's actually like the coast to coast thing. If I have heard people doing that for the honeymoon, like they're, um, they're going from the East coast to the West coast. It's like an epic journey, right? But there are people like, yeah, you know, we couldn't take, we were scared of going on a flight for COVID. So we just drove to Boston. I was like, what? <laughs> that to me is crazy. <laughs> now, how would you react if I told you that I've driven completely across the country five times, three times by myself? 3,000 miles in a car by that, myself. I would say, tell me more. <laughs> I love it. I think I think driving cross-country in America is um, one of the great experiences that at least every American should have. I think it has given me a perspective on, you know, you get to like, a. I come from the Northeast where everybody's all densely packed together, this and that, and then, you know, you drive somewhere and you're in like the middle of Iowa and you stop in some small town to eat and you go, oh, right. This is why it's okay that we all have different opinions because we live very differently. And I don't think that's something mm -hmm. you can see from a plane or feel from a plane. Um, so I really loved it. I found it, I would, I would go so far as to say I found it borderline spiritual um, to, mm. to do so. And I'm also, I mean, I'm also someone who lives deeply in my own head a lot of the time. So it's, it's very, I find it very Zen to just be in a car by myself and figure out what I'm really thinking about some stuff. But yeah, you get to see all different parts of the country, parts that are thriving, parts that are not, parts that are big, parts that are small. Like I, I, I've gone on, I remember once getting in trouble on the show where I, I started yelling so much about how I hate guns and I wish we'd throw them all in a pit and melt them down and guns didn't exist. And I really do feel mm -hmm. that. And then I'm driving cross country and, you know, I'm like stopping at some tiny town in New Mexico for gas and I'm looking around going, oh, 
if somebody showed up here with bad intentions and you called the cops, the cops are 40 minutes away. The nearest police day. All right, I get why you might, like, I get how I can feel that guns are evil and shouldn't exist and how you feel like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I need one because if someone tries to kill my family, no one can get to me in time. Like, okay, that can coexist and we can mm-hmm. both kind of be right and um, still disagree. So yeah, I really loved it. But I get what you're saying too. I also understand that like, that means that I've driven what, 15,000 miles across the country and that like probably has contributed to uh, killing the earth. Like that, that's not good. We got to get over that. Taking a, like a flight to Europe three, four times per year, it's probably worse than doing that. Like I think that people don't realize how bad it is to, um, to travel, like air travel. Um, and I think like 2020, one of the good things of the pandemic has been that people stopped just taking flights to go places all the time. Like I used to work for companies that were very casual about sending you on business trips. And when I lived in, in Ireland, I would fly at least once a month, very often twice. I was constantly on a plane and I didn't realize how bad that is for the environment. Um, driving a car in particular, you know, when, um, you know, if you have a fuel efficient car or if you have a hybrid or electric car, it's actually not as bad as being a frequent flyer. So there you go. <laughs> I, I mean, we don't need to compete over who should feel more guilty about killing the earth. I just like driving around and you get to fly a lot of places, pick up the frequent fire, fire miles. Right. Um, now, well, one, one thing I did to, um, to help out is I became vegetarian. Um, so, uh, that, that's a choice that for my family and my sister is already vegetarian, but, um, last time I went to see my family, which unfortunately, uh, was a year and a half ago. Uh, I didn't know, uh, that, you know, Nobody knew what would happen in the last year. So I don't be able to see them. Um, but what, the last time I went, my mom was like, what am I supposed to cook now? <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> she would like to make me all my fish, all my favorite fish dishes and stuff. And I was like, oh, whatever, I don't care. Um, but yeah, food is such a, so important in Italian culture that my mom was like freaking out when I was like, yeah, I don't eat meat anymore. And she was like, what? What am I going to do now? Um, <laughs> I get it. Now, a lot of Italian stereotypes are actually true around that. You know, how um, uh, food is a sign of love in, in Italy. I think that's true. In the st- I, I have found New Jersey. I don't know if you know New Jersey is a reputation, I think, for being like a very... Mm-hmm. Inf- like Italian Americans here are, are huge cultural mm-hmm. influence on all of us. Like, you grew up in Jersey mm-hmm. and you eat food. Like, I think a lot of us grow up believing, like, oh, it's, you're never going to find better than Italian food. Like, I think that in the Northeast, a lot of people just go, oh, Italian food is the best food. And then it's a race for second place. I know I grew up thinking that. And Everybody's mm-hmm. got Italian friends, Italian American friends. I know that's a bad habit Americans have. Like I say, I'm Irish, and then I meet Irish people, and they're like, "You're American, stop!" I I go to Ireland. <laughs> I've been to Ireland, and and you know they they really loved me there because I would start my sets. I all my comedy sets, I'd go up. I go, "Hey, so my grandparents were both born in Ireland, and uh, 
it means a lot for me to be here. And I also want to say that I'm aware that none of you give a shit. And they'd start cheering at that. They'd start cheering that I recognize that like, we're not Italians here. We're not Americans, uh, Irish here. We're Americans. Mm-hmm. But point being, yeah, I'd go to my Italian American friends' houses for like Sunday meals. And it was just a nonstop. You'd have, you'd have to, you'd have to like say like, no, please, please stop putting more food in front of me. I can't do this. And it was lovely. Mm-hmm. It was lovely. <laughs> fond memories, fond memories. So that I think has made it across the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Eating a lot in particular Sundays or big occasions. Like Christmas is like you start eating and you eat and then it's dinner time and you keep eating. It's uh, it's like crazy in that regard, how much food uh, people can eat in special occasion. But then at the same time, there is a very strong diet culture. Uh, like in particular, as an Italian woman, you're meant to be skinny or otherwise you're not worth it. Um, and uh, it's very difficult to get that balance because there is this idea that you have to have a very specific body image, but at the same time, people indulge in this feast um, often enough. Um, so that's something I found really hard to balance because mm-hmm. I was naturally not skinny. <laughs> I'm right. still not. They um, make it, and they and don't I'm make it very, easy. I'm also very tall. <laughs> um, and most Italian women are short. So I always felt I was standing out and in a bad way. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I was like, I need to leave this country. I don't belong here, even though I was born and raised there. And I think it's really funny when here I meet people and I say, yeah, I, was, I have to specify when I say I'm Italian, that I was born and raised in Italy, because people are like, oh, I'm Italian too. I was like, you sound pretty American to me. <laughs> um, and the first time that somebody did that to me, like I was actually in Ireland and there was this guy who was visiting from the US and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Irish. And, and people are like, no, you're not. Like we did not understand how strongly Americans um, feel about their heritage, their grandparents, where their grandparents come from. Now I now I just think it's funny when people tell me very Italian too. That first time when I heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? You're not Irish. So I totally get it. Um, but you see some of the things that you said about the, the, you know, the Catholic guilt. I grew up Catholic as well. Uh, that's across the board. And uh, something else that you said was about being, um, you know, the humor is very similar. The humor that you have is very similar to uh, like the Irish, for example. Um, and something I found out is that the humor that Italian have is very similar to the Irish too. Like we're very sarcastic um, and uh, like to make fun of ourselves being self-deprecating. And when I moved to California, I kind of had to tune that down. Because I was just like, people didn't understand my sarcasm. People didn't understand that when I was self-deprecating, it was meant to be funny. I was just kind of just putting myself down. So, you know, when you were asking me what was difficult, it was like, I kind of had to change the way I was interacting with people um, and change some things that I've been doing for like 30 plus years. Let's pause there. 30 years you're used to being one way and then you got to change them that's uh we all reckon with our own version of that but fascinating to hear we'll be right back thanks to everybody who advertises on the show now let's finish off the phone call i was interacting with people um and changed some things that i've been doing for like 
thirty plus years. Yeah, that's uh, that's how strange. I've never thought about that. That self deprecation, at least in areas of the states, people people here don't put themselves down as much. Maybe maybe we have a little bit more of like, no, yeah. we're all cowboys who conquer everything. Like that's America. Like, and you have to be strong and mm-hmm. tough and putting yourself down is against it. Interesting to hear. Now, well, it also doesn't help when you're female. Right. Of course. Of course. Particularly working in an environment that is really male dominated. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was also for my self preservation. Um, it was like, it's not, it's not going to give me any brownie points to be funny in the way I think I am funny. Um, yeah. Right. Especially you said you work in tech and programming, which is male dominated. And I mean, no offense to anyone listening, but known for not necessarily being a, a subset of males that are the most socially comfortable people either. Yeah, I had a couple of really bad uh, interview experience. Um, like just plain misogyny and sexism. I was like so baffled. I was like, well, I'm glad you show this now during our first interview because I definitely don't want to work with you. Uh, and then some amazing men who interviewed me and they were like, people I really want to work with. Um, But most of my interviews were men. Like it was only towards the end that I got some female interviewers. Um, And I, I, I thought that was part of what made it harder for me at first when I was interviewing the last few months, because um, I think women and men communicate differently. Um, And, uh, you know, even if you're talking about technical subjects, I'm not like stone face. I like I have a personality. It shines through, even if we're talking about algorithm. Um, and some of these uh, guys interviewed me. They would just like stare blankly, and it was so hard. <laughs> and you know that, like you know, well, if your audience gives you nothing, you're like, oh my god, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're bombing, but you're at work. That's bad. Right. Exactly. <laughs> now I want to ask. You brought up something before. I thought it was really interesting where you, you mentioned right at the top of the call that you are an immigrant, but that you recognize that, I think you maybe said the phrase like privileged immigrant, that your your immigration mm-hmm. experience has been definitely easier than some others. What's your immigration, you know, especially you said you moved here right before Trump mm-hmm. and, and at which point immigration became, you know, it, it's always been a buzzword and it became like particularly heated uh-huh. and led to social. So as someone who is an immigrant with an easy experience, how mm-hmm. how do you lock in? Like, what are your opinions on the people where you're watching going, well, this is not easy at all. And there's some concerns here. And it, it in my opinion, obviously a lot of stuff that feels very cruel and inhumane uh, I don't know if you share that opinion or not everybody listening does, mm-hmm. many do, but do you feel empathy? Do you feel connected in any way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel guilty a little bit. <laughs> I, I think like, you know, I I didn't have to come to the U.S. There are people who live in situations where they are so desperate that, um that are willing to take risks, that are willing to bribe shady people to cross the border. Uh, and then when they get here, they're definitely not, well, not the one I generalize, but it sounds like they're not welcome. Um, so the reason why I like to 
be clear about my pre- like as you can imagine Italy is mostly white so I'm white and um you know, if I go through border control at the airport, they obviously check my documents, but I'm sure the level of scrutiny I get is not the same if I, if I were a woman of color or if I were from South America um, or Central America. Uh, and so in that regard, I feel very privileged. Like for me, it, like the process was very stressful, um, even for me, but maybe because I'm a bit of an anxious person. But... Um, but yeah, I can't even imagine how hard. Actually, it's not my story to tell, but very briefly, um, I, there is um, a person that my boyfriend has known since they were much younger. That he came here when he was two years old from um, from Central America, and his family got scammed by a lawyer. They were never able to get green card, um, so he ends up applying to DACA. And then when Trump repealed DACA in late 2017, he was like, I'm sick of it. I can't get into a school. Like, you know, I, I, I mean, he had a social security number at that point because of DACA. But at the same time, he was like, now they know who I am and where I live. They can come after me. And so he, as he said, self-deported himself back to his own country where he never lived before. And uh, where he had some family, but not his, his parents. Like his parents are still uh, in the U.S. And his sister was born here, so she's a citizen. And I thought that was heartbreaking because I felt he had the right to stay here more than I did. Um, and instead, because of the situation, he, had, he decided that before, you know, he would get in, any, any, into any trouble with IC, it was just like take a plane and leave the country. Um, and that was something that really impacted me. I think this is one of the stories, because I talked to him, like uh, we hang out the week before he left. Uh, so it's not like a stranger or a story I read in the newspaper. And you know, he was, he was working, like he was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a new immigrant. He had been here for 30 years, but he didn't have the status. And so that's when, like when you ask me how I feel about it, I feel a little guilty because I already came from a place of privilege and I think it just shows how much inequality in the U.S. is like across the board. And I live in an area where there is a lot of inequality and there's a lot of homeless people. And that, I was like, I, was like, I don't know what to do about it. And, you know, I try to like be aware and try to help and try to like think about ways to to help, but the reality is like very social poli- policies that need to happen that are not up to me. Um, and that's one of the things that definitely struck me in terms of living in a big city in the US. It's like how much inequality there is, how unfair life is. And, and it's probably true in other countries as well, but like everything that happened in the last year, like all well, the stories yesterday about hate crimes against Asians, obviously all the Black lives that have been lost. Uh, that as a foreigner, um, it's kind of terrifying because we have this idea that the U.S. is a super advanced country and it's the greatest country in the world. You know, like uh, coming from the TV shows and growing up, you kind of have this idea: oh my God, the U.S. is a great country. Um, and then you get here and you realize there is a lot of problems, and a lot of the problems are actually. You know, we have a lot of immigration problems in Italy, too. People are very um, against all these uh, poor, desperate people that cross the Mediterranean. A lot of them 
die because they fall into the sea and drown. And the few natives that are uh, treated poorly because we don't want to, like we as a European, you know, don't want to absorb any more refugees. I mean, not every single country, but Italy in particular, some prominent politicians who are, uh, you know, go back to your own country. And I'm like, yeah, I think maybe it's the place where we are in our society. It's like, it's actually not just in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stop bubbling now. It's really, uh, really sad and really scary because the thing I don't get, and we all do it, right? Like every end of the political spectrum has their versions of this, but the thing I don't get is like the same people who are so anti-immigration seem to be the ones who are so intent on not correcting climate change. And you read about this for like 10 minutes and you realize, oh, one of the main things that's going to happen when climate change hits like a disaster point is there's going to be mass migration. All people, there's going to be many areas of the world that are underwater now or where crops don't grow now. Mm -hmm. And those people got to go somewhere. So if you, if you really have this like uh fervent desire to close the doors to immigration, you're also creating, you're also, facilitating situations that are only going to cause more. So how you, how are you trying to have it both ways here? How are you trying to have it both ways? But one man's opinion. Yeah. One man's opinion. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely a tricky time we live in where there has been these more um, conservative, like a lot of countries are going more conservative. Um, and um, sometimes I worry if people have forgotten what happened hundred years ago where people like Mussolini and Hitler got into power and what happened afterwards. Like, I feel like history should be taught better in school. Um, and because it's like, do you realize like these behaviors are the same that the fascists had? Uh, hate your own neighbors, report on your own neighbors, right? Um, it really breaks my heart because yeah. it's a blindness. It's like how blind people are. And and I'm like, is that because people are not educated? Not everybody, obviously, but people are not educated or what? Like, why do people think that that's okay to be, um, to be like that? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it makes me feel really small. Like, that, there is very little I can do at the individual level. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's really frustrating. Now, we have, yeah. eight, we have eight minutes left. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if I told oh, it you? Was, oh, it wasn't very fun, this call. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. It's been very fun. Hearing your perspective, okay. bouncing around, conquering your dreams, letting us know about what it's like to, you know, from the perspective of someone who's been all over the world. That's great. How would you feel okay, if I told cool. you that when I was 17 years old, I went on a tour of Italy. Uh, it was the first time oh. I'd ever left the United States. And I saw a whole bunch of cities and I have opinions on a number of them. I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Want to tell me about it? Rome. Incredible city. Yeah. Amazing history. At the same time, they put a bunch of us uh, who were all 17-year-olds in a hotel across the street from one of the major train stations. It was terrifying. Truly terrifying. <laughs> um, it would be like staying across the street from Port Authority in New York City. Just like 
Really crazy, really crazy. So I also got to see how fast the pace that city works at. Venice, mind blowing. Mm. Never seen anything like Venice in my life. I know it will be impossible to see anything else even akin to that. It, it's indescribable, beautiful. I remember the Isle of Capri. Again, mind blowing, mm-hmm. beautiful, mind blowing. Um, Florence, lovely place. The place where I realized, you know, I've, I grew up and art was not really a factor in my life and where I would see the art and go, I don't know anything about art. And it grew up in in a neighborhood where it wasn't really a thing any of us thought about. And it's it's blowing my mind here. Um, the Vatican, mm-hmm. the Vatican, despite all my conflicted feelings about Catholicism, um, I found it to be a really fascinating place and all the sort of customs of it and the Swiss guard guys hanging out. And you can go and tour the tombs that all the popes are buried in. And some of them are real like, gold and all sorts of jewels and stuff. And then some of them are just plain wood. I'm like, oh, this is historically fascinating. Even though even then I was like, I don't know about this Catholicism stuff. And then weirdly (laughs) enough, weirdly enough, a city that I remember loving. Oh, also it was really fun to be 17 and everyone would just liberally let us drink. And uh, coming from the States, it's so puritanical. Like it it was a fiasco with drinking. Uh, But there was a city I really loved that I feel like doesn't get the hype. Do you have any guesses? Or you might just be like, wait, that's the city you loved? Like what? Or you might be like, oh yeah, underrated Bologna? place. Bologna? Where was that? Bologna? No, I didn't go to Bologna. Beautiful city. Uh, okay. uh, give me a hint, the north or south or center. I'm not educated enough to remember. I'll tell you, it starts with an <laughs> S. It starts with an S. Uh, Siena? Sorrento. Oh, Sorrento. Okay. I wouldn't call Sorrento a city. For me, it's a town. <laughs> okay. Sorrento's a town. Um, yeah. Is, also, I've never been. So you've I never even really been. Tell. I got the impression even I while never, I was there. It's you know, weird that I'm loving Sorrento so much. I remember thinking of that then. I'm like, I've been to all these other places, and yet Sorrento is really working for me. I even knew then mm-hmm. this feels weird. And I bet most people, I bet most, like, I'm not surprised to hear you go like, oh yeah, Sorrento, it's not even a real city. I've never been there. Not surprised. No, no, it's just small. It's not a city. It's more of a town. That's why I wasn't thinking about it. I got it. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved I bet you, you haven't gone. I bet you haven't gone in any other places where I lived uh, in Italy um, because there are very underlooked cities too. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the most fascinating thing about Rome is that there is an entire state in the middle of the capital of Italy, which is Vatican City that you you mentioned. So uh, I don't know if people realize that Vatican City is actually a state. Its own um, country. It's a it's different really country weird. than Italy. And it's like, you could walk across yeah. the whole thing in 10 minutes and it's a country. Yep. Yeah. It's a tiny country. There is another tiny country inside Italy. It's called San Marino. I've um, read about this. It's, yeah. It's like, it's a hill. I've been a couple of times. It's fun. Um, it's like a tiny town, basically. And, uh, it's so fascinating uh, that that is even possible. And wasn't that, it, it was like a fort, if I remember right. And part of why it was grant, like allowed to have autonomy is because they like really held it down during some invasions. And people were like, all right, you guys get to keep doing your own thing. Congrats. It, am I remembering that right? 
Yeah, I, I don't remember the details, but that sounds about right. So, yeah, Italy is beautiful. I actually have not been in a lot of places of Italy. I just didn't get the chance because when I was right. finally able to travel, I was already living abroad. So I would just go back to the area where my family is. And I, I'm really looking forward to being able to go and travel again. Um, and like, they're not doing so well right now. There's still like a very strict lockdown. Um, the numbers are increasing again. So um, it's going to take a while, but I hope I can go and visit some of these cities. Uh, some of the one you mentioned, I haven't been since I was like 17 and, as well. So, um, yeah, I miss it. It's, it's one of the difficult things of being an expat, how people like to call me. Uh, you long for your origins and the country where you was raised, but I don't also know the country anymore. Like in my head, Italy is still stuck in 2008 when I left. Uh, obviously, a lot of things have changed, um, but but yeah, the beauty and the other thing you mentioned is about like the art. Like growing up in Italy, where everywhere you look, there is art. There is like beautiful buildings. When I when I went to other countries, I was shocked by how ugly some buildings were. It's something that as an Italian, you definitely take for granted. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I remember we drove through some tiny little town, like a town. And it was up in a mountain and they brought us to a church and there's a mural inside this church and it's in this tiny nothing town. And they're just like, oh yeah, Raphael painted that mural. And you're like, wait, what? One of the Ninja Turtles is named after him. He's like, he's like one of the big ones. That just that guy I've actually heard of was in this little town and painted a mural. It's like, you're right. You like can't throw a rock without hitting something Michelangelo made in Italy. It's like, really, it's like everywhere, all this stuff. It's really beautiful. <laughs> it's very telling how the Catholic Church spends their money, though. Uh, I've mixed feelings about how, uh, you know, it's great. They gave commissions to these artists and we have beautiful art, in particular from the, the 14 and the 1500s. But all that money that they spend on art, they could have spent in other things. And that's one of the things that bugs me about the Catholic Church. Like, you know, the, the fact that they're a hypo, hypocrite, is that the word? Yeah, um, hypocrites, yeah. 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 It bums me out. Now, look, we have less than a minute left. What are your, what are your parting words here on Beautiful Anonymous? Oh, my God, it went by so fast. Um well, thank you so much. It was amazing talking to you. Uh, I have been a big fan for a long time, and uh, I actually met you a couple of times. And uh, yeah, it's just like a, I was happy to have the opportunity to share my story um, and kind of give maybe a little bit of a different perspective to some people. And uh, you have the ability to to take some chances on yourself, and you have a dream, and you know it doesn't jeopardize your your well being. Um, maybe give it a shot. Maybe don't be as as a you know, as drastic as I was, but um, I think it's worth it to like uh, try to, to do what you want to do because I have to work another 20, 30 years and I want to do it in a way that it's something more fulfilling of what I was doing before. And I hope this gives some people maybe the courage. Uh, likewise, the people done that for me, they gave me like the last push uh, when I needed to, to, to go and uh, try to fulfill my dream. I love it. Thank you for calling. Thank you, Chris. Have a good day. Callers, thank you so much. We jumped in so many different directions and you were so lovely about being thoughtful and thorough in your responses and, and making things really clear. And it was a joy to listen to. 
Thank you so much for calling. Thank you, Anita Flores. Thank you, Jared O'Connell. Thank you, Shell Shag, for the music. If you don't know about me, especially when I'm going out on the road, chrisgeth.com, all that info. And hey, wherever you're listening, whatever platform you're on, there's a button that says subscribe or favorite or follow, something like that. When you click that, it helps the show more than I can tell you. So please do click that. If you want our back catalog without any ads, stitcherpremium.com slash stories is the link for that. Thanks, everybody. 